we can we can do this for forever uh, you could take one verse you could take one word in the verse that's what's so profound about this book it's such a wonderful study and it does everything that uh, i would hope that it would do um, i know it has for me it, it just you think about revival on a personal basis you can't read this book and not want more of jesus and not appreciate jesus all the more and and i know that was the the heart of the apostle paul um and the impact uh, you know that jesus had upon his life and the same thing is true for us and so like i said uh, every single revival that uh, this world has ever known has some root back into this book the book of romans and so uh, it's going to be well worth just the fact that you only study it now, but just continue to go back and read it again and again and again. We're going to find ourselves in verses 25 through 27 here this morning. So in our series Made Right, I titled it, excuse me, um, Can I Have Your Attention, Please? I don't mean that, not Can I Have Your Attention, Please? That's the title of the message. You know, and when you're trying to get somebody's attention, what what's some ways you think about that? I'll let you participate here for a second. How can you get people's attention? What 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 are things today that we use to get people's attention? What? Anything? Smile at them. What else? Wave your hands. You want to get somebody's attention? What do you do? Who said that? That was good. That was John. <laughs> yeah. What What are some other things to get people's attention? What can you do? What do you guys do at home? How many are married here? Yeah. What do you do to get your spouse's attention? Huh? Do something wrong. And <laughs> I don't want to go there. <laughs> I think that, that list could be long, huh, guys? Yeah. You know, like, for Lee and I, I know how to get Lee's attention really quick is sit down and, and sit down and relax while she's working. Right. She looks, she's like, uh, what are you doing? I'm sitting down relaxing. Okay. And then it's like, like, did I do something wrong? Well, I'm, I'm out here. Like we have a, a lunch today and she probably, so she told me last night, this is just like around the house, right? My wife put in 15,000 steps yesterday walking around in the, just the yard. And now she, last night she was, I, honey, I am so tired. And I said, well, man, you just went and went and went all day. And she goes, yeah, she goes, I had my wa your watch on. She goes, I did 15,000 steps. I mean, I was like, that is a lot just, and it made me tired, her telling me, you know, but no, it, uh, it, there's a lot of things that you can do to get someone's attention. And I always, you know, think about the, like the apostle Paul here. That's what he's trying to do here. We call it a doxology, and I'll get into that as we read this this morning. But, um, you know, he's written 16 chapters that have just been so profound. And yet it's kind of like if, if you if you have, and it's a wonderful thing, you know, to be able to teach the Word of God. You know, um, anybody who teaches, if, you, if you're studying, you obviously study a far more content, you know, than you would ever be able to share. And, and that's a good thing because that's the beauty of God that if I've shared with you all the time, right? If you lived a, a hundred lifetimes, you'd just scratch the surface, right? Of really of who Jesus is. God is just so deep, right? And so wonderful. And yet, you know, it's like I'll say in a, in a sermon and you, you'll hear pastors say this, they go, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, close with this thought. And then you share a thought. Then what does that thought do? Leads to another thought, right? And you go, it's kind of reminds me, you know, teaching a Bible study is kind of like watching the end of a uh, NFL football game when the two-minute warning starts. There's two minutes left in the game, and it takes an hour, right, to, to get your own. I go, I thought I just said there was two minutes left, but they call timeout. They take a break. They go to a commercial. The next thing you know, this is another hour. And it's kind of like this for the Apostle Paul. This is a long book, right? There's a lot of detail in it. There's a lot of doctrine and a lot of deep theology in it. But Paul, right here at the end, you know, uh, he's his assistant. Most people don't even really pay attention to that. Tertius, his, his assistant's the one who's been pinning this letter for him, right? Paul, you know, it's believed if you, if you read 
history, it's believed that Paul had really bad eyesight. So he, he dictated uh, the letters that he wrote. And then at the very end, and this was common, and he wasn't the only one who did it. Peter did the same thing. Jude did the same thing. Um, you would have, you know, someone else, you know, um, or um, I think of a doxology, Jude and Peter had doxologies. Paul would take the pen back and go, hey, you know, okay, you're done, but I got something now that I, I, need, to, I need to say. And, and this is what he's wanting to say. And of all the things, and, and this is kind of like uh, growing up. And any of you guys my age or older that you had one of those jack-in-the-boxes that you had a crank that had a crank on it, right? And it'd scare you to death. We had one, like, I think, was it Brie, honey, that we had it? And it would just, and they, but they like it, right? They go, and they're like, and it's kind of like this. Paul is just packing. There's so much theology here, and it's just, he, he's, he's dictated this, right? He's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Again, most of you, you know, I've had this conversation with those of you that have taught uh, the Bible, those of you that are counselors. Sometimes you'll be sharing with people, just believers, that, that you love Jesus. And have you ever been in a situation where you were talking to somebody and about Jesus, and you're saying something that you go, where did that come from? You go, man, that was good. I should write it down because I don't even know where it came from. And that it's just how the Holy Spirit operates in that, in that moment. Well, Paul is, is, is obviously cognizant of, of what he's saying, but he's also, remember, he's, the Bible says that they were holy men of God, moved by the Holy Spirit in the words of God, right? So Paul is, he's excited about this. And then it gets done, and he's like, but I want to say this too. And this is how he wraps it up. So we'll read this, and we'll pray, and we'll jump into it. He says, in verse 25, he says, Now all glory to God who is able to make you strong, just as my good news says, this message about Jesus Christ has revealed his plan for you Gentiles, a plan kept secret from the beginning of time. But now, as the prophets foretold, and as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all Gentiles everywhere, so that they too might believe and obey him. All glory to the only wise God, through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. And this, like I said, can seem like, but it's like, it's like a, he has packed this in. And if you just took it word by word by word, I mean, it, it's something that just, like I said, will encourage you as we jump into this. We'll take a moment here and let's pray. Father, as we celebrate um, the Lord's Supper today, it, it couldn't be a better Sunday to be studying this text and be reminded that everything is about Jesus and to draw all attention to him in our life by the things that we do, by the things that we say. And Lord, that's our prayer here at Calvary Chapel today. And I pray that our, our worship drew attention to you. I pray that as we read your word together, it draws attention to you. I pray that the work that you do in our hearts today, while we're all in this place, will draw attention to you. And then Lord, as we go from this place throughout the course of this next week, that our lives draw attention to you. Lord, that's what it's all about. And Lord, we pray that not our will, but yours would be done today as we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the intention, like I said, of a doxology uh, is to draw attention to the glory of God. That, that's what this is all about. So these, these last three verses here in Romans, you know, we would call these a doc, doxology. And, and if you look at that in the Greek language, that word doxa means glory and logos means word. So a doxology is a word that describes glory to God. And as soon as I, you know, I read that the first time I was reminded, Psalm 150 verse 6 says, let everything that breathes or let everything that has breath do what? Praise the Lord. Yeah, that's, that's why we exist, to praise the Lord. So our lives, you could say today, are to be a doxology to Jesus. Our words our actions, they draw attention to him. You know, as one author has well said, and it always caught my attention, he said, we exist to make Jesus famous. And you thought, well, he's already famous. And you go, but he's not famous in my life or your life until what? Until we make him famous, until we make him known, until we share him with other people. So the conviction behind the New Testament doxologies here is that everything that happens in our life, everything, okay, that's what Romans is dealing with, everything that happens in your life 
and in my life is to do what? It's to draw attention to the glory of God. You know, and you think about how God does that. And, you know, usually we save him, you know, a doxology is usually at the very end. And it's, it's like the climactic moment, you know, of it is to hone in on that. And it's a great thing to be reminded of in our own life that in all the things that we do, you know, are we ultimately, you know, like we go, does the ends justify the means or does the means justify the ends? You go, we exist for what? The glory of God, right? To bring glory to him. And that's, so this is what Paul is doing. He's going, I've told you a lot of things. I've written 16 chapters, but I don't want you to miss that it's all about bringing glory to God. So when you look at that in verse 25, he says, now all glory to God who is able to make you strong. He says, just as my good news says, this message about Jesus Christ has revealed his plan for you Gentiles, a plan kept secret from the beginning of time. And like I said, you can just start to unpack this. You know, it says now all the glory to God. You know, here in his, his final words of this doxology, he wants to do what? He wants to make sure that God gets all the glory, that it's not Paul getting the glory, it's not the Gentiles, it's not the church in Rome, but he says, now all glory to God. There's no I in there at all, right? He's not trying to share in it. He wants to deflect everything. So again, when you think about how he's doing this, he says, to the only, you know, if you take Verse 25, I guess, look at it this way. The, the first part of 25 and the last part of, of verse 27 and kind of bookend it, bring it together. He says, now all glory to God, to the only wise God through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. That's, that's ultimately what he's, what he's saying here now. And he begins it there in verse 25. If you break that verse down, like I said, we'll, we'll walk through this pretty carefully here this morning. That word now. Now, like I said, you know, he's up to this point, you know, uh, Tertius has been writing, you know, for Paul, but he's grabbed the, the pen back right here and he's going, listen, uh, I, I got something to say. I want to, I want to make sure that people know that I, I support everything that's been said and I got something else, you know, that, that I want to say too. And it's how they personalized it and, and ultimately made it their own, not knowing in the true sense, he didn't, do you think Paul knew that God was using him to write? The New Testament. Oh, he had no idea. He wasn't like God just, hey, Paul, I'll write this down. Be really careful because I'm going to print a book and I'm going to call it the Bible. Paul didn't know. God knew. And he says, you know, who is able to make you strong. In some of your translations, it has the word established there. And you think about that word established, or again, um, as he, Maybe as a dictionary would you know define this, it would put it like this: to place something securely and permanently in a position, situation, or condition. You know, we talk about like eternal security. You know, God is able to establish you. He's able to make you secure. So this, so this is these are the things. Like I said, you you're, you're unpacking what Paul is wanting to communicate here. He wants you to know something. You know, it's like I, I tell you, and I love this because it's on a communion Sunday. You know, what, what, what I try to remind you every time that we receive communion is, hey, when you go from this place, church, remember who goes with you. And he doesn't just go with you like you could go, oh, where's Jesus? He's five steps ahead of me or I'm five steps behind him. You go, no, he's where? He's in you, right? Christ is in you. You couldn't get away from him if you wanted to. That's, that's the beauty of it. That's why David was so overwhelmed in the Psalms, right? He's crying because he's going, God, where can I go from your presence? I, there's no place that I can go. If, I, if I'm in heaven, you're there. If, I, if I'm in the grave, guess what? You're there. What did Ephesians tell us? Oh, he was in the grave. How could he get you there? What did he say? He said, before he ascended, he first did what? He descended into the lower parts of the earth, and he what? He preached captivity captive to those who were in captivity. They were in Abraham's bosom. He's like, hey, it's out of here. Let's go. Well, today you'll be with me where? In paradise, yeah. And so Paul, you could just tell, Paul's so excited. We talk about, you know, enthusiasm, right? That word enthusiasm in the English language, two, two Greek words, right? You know, in, in, theos, God. You know, we talk about who should be the most enthusiastic people on the planet? Christians. 
Why? Because we got the good news, right? We, we've got the gospel. It's not bad news. It's not sour news. It's good news. And so here's Paul. He's going, and I, and I want you to understand that you can be secure permanently in your position. Why, did, why would Paul be so excited about that? Because he was a Jew. What do I mean by that? He'd been under the law. The law, the law was doing what? It was a taskmaster, right? I mean, think 613 laws of Moses, and you got to keep them all. As Jesus said, because if you break one of them, guess what? You might as well break them all, right? So that they strive to be perfect. I mean, the burden that was on that, right? And now all of a sudden, Paul's been freed up through Christ Jesus, our Lord. He's going, guys, you can be secure here. And, you know, and I think about this, you know, as a, as a, such an important note, remember, you know, when we started this, I said, as an easy way to look at the book of Romans, remember, you know, the first three chapters deal with the wrath of God, right? And then, you know, chapters four, basically through, you know, uh, nine deal with, you know, the, the grace of God. And then at nine, 10 and 11, uh, deal with the nation of Israel, you know, we see the, the plan of God. And then from chapter 12, pretty much on, we, we deal with the will of God. So we have the wrath of God, the grace of God, the plan of God, and the will of God. But there's kind of another word in there that you can see in chapter one and at the end of chapter 16. If you're a note taker, you might write it down because it's pretty profound. It's the word power. Power. Yeah, there's a power. God has the power to do what? To save you? Can you save yourself? No. God has the power to what? Sanctify you, to wash you, to cleanse you. That's what we celebrate communion today. God has the power to what? To stabilize you. You ever feel like, man, you just, you know, my life's out of control. And you go, you ever got on your knees to, to stabilize yourself? You know? Yeah, you can get good balance when you're on your knees. God has the power, Paul says, to make you strong. When, when do you feel the most strength as a believer? Kind of a dichotomy there, right? You go, what? When I'm weak. What did he tell Paul? He said, Paul, my strength is what? It's made perfect in weakness. And then Paul said, so I'd rather boast in my infirmities that the power of God would rest upon me for when I'm weak, I'm strong. See, these are all the things that are going through Paul's head. And he's grabbing that pen. You know, from Tertius, give me the pen. I got something more that I want to say. And like I said, we can just blow through this and look at it. It's like, and, and we do. That's the beauty of word studies and everything else. You look at this and you go, man, what was he saying? What was really, I mean, because you go, well, that, was it that exciting, you know, for Paul? And you go, oh, yeah. And when you, like I said, when you, you call it what it is, you call it a doxology. You go, what am I trying to do? You know, I'm trying to bring the glory in words to God. It's like writing a song about God or a hymn about God. And so here's Paul reminding us. Remember in Romans 8, 38, he says, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. That's what Paul's, he, he's so excited about. He's going, when you, when you get it, when you understand it, God is able to make you strong. And God can put you in a place. You need to think about this today. And, and Jesus said, everything that can be shaken will be shaken, right? Are we seeing that in the world today? And are we seeing that even in believers' lives? The things are being shaken and people are falling away. And Jesus said, there's going to be a falling away before the Son of God returns. And we're seeing it. And you go, why? Because if your life isn't built in Christ and on Christ, I can promise you, you cannot stand. You cannot, you will not stand. And you go, it's not because I say, well, I think I can, I'm strong. Yeah. It's not me. I'm telling you what God has said. There's only one, Jude says, who's able to keep us from falling. Amen. And that's Jesus. And that's what Paul's so excited about. He's just drawing everything, all the glory back to God, back to Jesus, because it's so easy, so subtle. Well, 
you know, it's because I study, because I read, because I share my faith, because I'm so strong. I'm not like everybody. You know, we go, me, 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 I, I, I. And, and that's the spirit of Antichrist. And so, again, ascribing all the glory to God, it's humbling. And that's the best place for us to be, is seeing God for who he is. Amen. And that's what Paul's done. Paul knew what pride was, was like in his life. He was proud. And God humbled him, caused him to become blind, right? That somebody else had to lay hands on him to bring healing to his life. And so the book of Romans, you know, as Paul writes this for us, you know, we recognize it's all good in Jesus. We think of that big word, sovereign. You know, God is sovereign. God's in control. He's in complete control. The world is out of control, but God is working behind the scenes. He's in control. And if God's in control, do you have to worry? We do, though, right? But do we need to? No. If you, th you think about most of the things that we worry about, they never come about. Never. And we go, why do I worry? You go, well, it's a product of the fall. But we have an invitation of God to what? He knows we, we worry about things, but to take our worry and to cast all of our cares upon him because he cares about you. Who? Jesus, right? And then to think, Paul said, then to meditate on things that are pure and lovely and praiseworthy, to meditate on the, the good news. That's what he says, right? He says, now all glory to God who's able to make you strong. So who makes you strong? Do you make yourself strong? It says, he who's able to make you strong, right? Okay, so you look at that. Who's responsible for your strength? Who? God is. He says, he's able to make you strong. We, see, we turn that around, though, how we go, oh, I got to make myself strong. You can't. You can't. It's impossible. He, that's what, and Paul understood it, because he's going, remember, he said, hey, I was, I was born the tribe of Benjamin. I was circumcised the, the eighth day. I went to the school of Gamaliel. I went to, you know, Harvard of, of Judaism. I mean, I, I did it all. And he goes, and it got me nowhere in the truest sense. It got me further away from God because I relied on myself. I relied on my own strength. I relied on my own wisdom, my own knowledge, my own abilities, instead of trusting and resting in him. So we have a responsibility, and Paul wrote about that. Romans chapter 12, what did he tell us? I beseech you, therefore, what, brethren? By the mercies of God that you do what? What are, we, what are we called to do? Do you remember studying that? To present, right? Present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice. That's our responsibility. That's my role. That's your role. And, and then God takes care of the rest. Man, I love that. It kind of reminds me of that sign over at uh, Sam Moore Automotive. You walk in there. Dave's got this sign, and I can't remember the, the exact numbers of it, but it says something to the effect like, if you leave your car with us, it's $65 an hour, right? If you stay and watch us, it's $85 an hour. And if you try to help us, it's $150 an hour. And it kind of reminds me, that's like with God. Like, if, if you're going to help me, you're going to pay a hefty price, aren't you? But if you just leave it up to God, and you just leave it in God's hands, What's that expression? You know, God gives his best to those who leave the choice to him. And it's so true. But we, we want to help because it's in our pride. Let me ask you this. Does God need your help? Does he want your help? No. What are we, what are we to do? What Paul said, we just describe all glory to God. That's what we do. We deflect it. We, just, we see Jesus in everything, right? You look for Jesus in everything. So fun. I always, Armin, I, you know, we do this all the time. You can think about dates, right? A date will come up and, and you'll think and it'll, it'll remind you of something else and something else. And you see these connections in life. And a lot of people just go, ah, that's nothing. And that's okay. I don't have a problem with that. They go, I love it though, because I love in those conversations, you go, when I see those things, I don't look at it as being a coincidence, right? I see it as divine providence. I, I see it that God is in it. And I go, well, oh, and then to, to see 
in the sense that God was with you, right? That makes for a good day, amen? That God was there, that you saw his fingerprints, you know, that God did something for you, right? And that's, we have a God that does that. Not just the air that we breathe. I mean, every once in a while, it'd be kind of cool if God just to get our attention, he just did that. He just took the air out of your lungs for just a second. Say, hey, are you thinking of me? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. What, is, what does he want? Paul, Paul is saying, you know, more than anything, what God wants you and I to come to the place that we understand. We say this all the time. What do you say in Romans 8? All things work what? Together for good. See, because remember, he's writing to a church in Rome that's suffering tremendous persecution, right? They're slaves. You know, two-thirds, basically, of Rome at that time is they're slaves. They've got a hard life. And Paul is offering them what? Hope. They, this life is not, the, as I shared last week, this isn't it. I mean, if you're living for now, hey, you, can, you can have a good life. In that regard, but it's it's a downhill slide, you know. But if as a Christian today, you're reminded this is as bad as it gets, right? It's going to get better for us. But if you're not in Christ today, this is as good as it gets, and it's really not that good if you think about it, right? But the best is yet to be for the believer. But you might be here today and feel like, man, my faith is just, I just feel like I'm on the edge, you know. I feel like, man, I just can't do this. I feel so weak. That's not a bad place to be. That's a bad place to be in the world. You know, and on our pride, we do it. You know, I was talking to somebody the other day about going to the gym. And uh, I said, yeah, I, I want to go every day. I go, I can't anymore. If I go every day, I'm in so much pain. Literally, I mean, and, I, and then I'd have to take Tylenol. And I don't want to take Tylenol. So then I go, my mind, I can still do it but my body won't. And you go, what? That's just part of aging. You go, and you either get good with it or you're going to suffer. You're going to go through a lot of painful things, but it's humbling. And then you're, you're reminded and God goes, why? Well, one day, just don't forget Revelation 21, you know, you're going to get a new body. You, know, you can go to the gym every day. I don't know why you'd want to, but you know, if that's what you want to do in heaven. Seems like a waste of time, but and it would be there because why? Your body's perfect, right? You know, you can just go, Lord, I want a bigger bicep. In the name of Jesus. <laughs> I mean, heaven's going to be awesome, right? Yeah. Yeah. Philippians 1 6. I love this. I am certain that God, who began a good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when? When Christ Jesus returns, right? Then you're going to be perfect. The end of it. See, God wants to work in our lives so that we're, we're standing on solid ground, that your faith isn't shaky any longer, but it's solid, that it's secure. And again, that's what you know, pretty much every single human being wants. And that's what God is doing. He's working in our life so that we know that not only is he dependable in that, but we're standing on solid ground in, our, in and of ourselves. See, when you've walked with God like David did, and like I said, we share this at so many you know, funerals, memorials, the 23rd Psalm, right? And it always comes to that, that one passage that, that just that gets everybody. Though I walk through, what? The valley of the shadow of death, what? I will fear no evil. What did, why? What does he say? For what? For you're with me. Because you're with me. David did only write that because what? He made it to the other side. And he understood that God was with him. Paul understood that God was with him. Remember in 1 Corinthians, and we read this a lot, right? For communion services, we'll go, Paul says, I delivered to you what was delivered to me on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, right? And he broke it, remember? And he, so what is he saying? He wasn't, was, was Paul at the Last Supper? It's not a trick question. Was, was Paul at the Last Supper? No. So how did he know all about that? What does he tell us? Jesus came to him, right? And he told him all about what the Last Supper was. And so Paul had this complete understanding. So he's going, I'm, I, 
you know, I'm not making something up. He goes, Jesus brought this to me. And he, and he, and he's, and he's reminding us, you know, that again, you know, he's with you and he's not just with you, but what he's in you. And if he's in you and greater, this is like all these, you know, there are verses that we love. We put them all over refrigerators, right? Greater is he who what? Is, go ahead and say it. It's always good to say it. Greater is he who is in me than he who's in the world, right? Yeah. And you think about that. And Paul's going, I get that. I know that. And because I know that, you know, is, is my life shaking any longer? Am I, am I all worried about everything? And you go, no. And the more things you go through in life, right, the more hard things you go through, I mean, I, I meet people all the time that go through very, very difficult things. And they're hard things. And the first time you go through it, it about just takes the life out of you, right? But God gets you through it. And then you go, you go through it again. And when you start to go through it again, what are you doing? You're kicking and screaming, right? God won't. Not, no. And then you, and guess what? He doesn't abandon you, right? And you make it through it. And you come out on that side, what, a little stronger. And then you go through it again and again and again. And then you go, why? When you go, well, when you start sharing with other people or other people are watching you and they see how you go through it, what does that do? It gives them hope. And especially when you give the glory to God, because what do you tell them? You go, well, the reason I got through it is because I have great faith. I haven't met anybody that's ever told me that. They go, man, Pastor Mike, I got through it because Jesus was there. Though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. That's what Paul knew. That's what he's so excited. That's what he wants. And, and it's so easy for us to just miss that. You know, and Paul's going, I don't want you to miss it. That's what the whole book was about. It was about bringing glory to God. It's not about, oh, you got to memorize some scripture. You got to do this. You got to hold to this creed. You got to do this. We would, for the wages of sin is what? Death. And all have what? Sinned. And all, he didn't say a few of you. He said, all have what? Or if you're in the South, y'all, y'all have fallen short of the glory of God. You're not going to get into heaven based on what you do. You get into heaven based on what he did for you. Believing him, trusting him, relying. It's not just, oh, I have a belief system in my head. No, it's a life. Paul's going, it's not my life any longer. That's the beauty of what baptism is. I died to myself, right? So Paul wrote in Romans chapter 6, you know, how do you who died to sin live in it any longer? You go, I died to that. Now I'm alive. My body's alive. I was dead. It wasn't like I, you know, did Jesus came to make, you know, bad people good? No. Did he come to make our lives better? No. Why did Jesus come? To give dead people life. And when you get that, and that's what Paul's going, he's going, I was dead. And Jesus resurrected me. And he goes, now, so the life that I live in my flesh, Galatians chapter 2, right? He says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. But, you know, most of us, we're honest, we still live our own life. It's, it's my life plus Jesus, not, oh, I died, and now Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live by faith in the Son of God, that's what Paul said, everything is about the glory of God, and the Son of God who what? Who loved me and gave himself for me. So for Paul, what was it? It was personal. Personal. Paul would say in Acts 20, 24, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. What he did for Paul, he's doing for me, he's doing for you. He's inviting us today not to trust in ourselves, honor ourselves, but to follow his lead for your life, to surrender your life afresh today. You know, like I said, you know, prayer tonight, coming back. 
I think most, most of us, I won't say all of us, there's probably a few of you that, man, you're just spot on in every area of your life, but I'm not. And so it's about going, Lord, teach me to pray. Teach me to pray effectively, not my will, not my will. I have a will. I have a strong will. And then to die to that and surrender, to reckon the old man dead. And, oh, yeah, he's, you know, he doesn't. And living for the glory of God. That's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, one of the most famous, favorite passages in all the Bible, right? Lean, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. But if we're honest, you go, are we stopping every day in every circumstance and situation? God, is this, is this your will? Or are we going, you know, we're like the children of Israel. Hey, we prayed. We asked God to lead us into battle. He's before us. We know that. So we'll just keep on fighting. And you go, instead of going, Lord, what would you have us do? And that was why the disciples came and they asked Jesus, teach us to pray. Not my will, but thine be. Not my will. God has a good will for my life and your life. But does it go against the grain of my flesh? You go, absolutely. Absolutely. But to trust in them. You know, when Deal Moody was first starting his ministry, I always loved this, this quote. He heard a preacher make this statement The world has yet to see what God can do with one man fully surrendered to him. And Moody that night, he said this By God's grace, I'll be that man. That, that's a high aspiration. For all of sin, yeah, there's nobody perfect, only Jesus. But to aim high. So, see, we're still on verse. 25. The third part of that, he said, Paul says, just as my good news says, you know, some people think that Paul had his own gospel and that's, that's not true. It shows the personalization of it. I, I love this you know, because the heart of, of the gospel to Paul wasn't theology. It was a person. The heart of the gospel to Paul was Jesus. That's what he wanted people to connect with was God himself. Everything pointed to Jesus. Everything was about Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, do you have good news? Can you have good news without Jesus? No. He's what makes the good news the good news. Without Jesus, all we have is what? Bad news, right? I mean, think about this. In John 20, you know, Mary said, they've taken away my Lord, my Lord. That's what she said. And I don't know where they've laid him. Also in John 20, Thomas, remember doubting Thomas, he, after he saw Jesus, he said, my Lord, right? My Lord and my God. And so that's what Paul's saying. He says, my, my good news, my gospel in some of your translations. So what is he saying? He was my Jesus. And I can tell you this, if you're not saying that he's my Jesus, you have religion. Coming to church isn't going to save you. Reading your Bible isn't going to save you. Those are great things but they do not save you. There's only one thing that saves you, and that's Jesus. Calling upon the name of Jesus. The last part of verse 25 there, Paul says, this message about Jesus Christ has revealed his plan for you Gentiles, a plan kept secret from the beginning of time. Verse 26 goes on, says, but now as the prophets foretold and as the eternal God has commanded, this message is made known to all Gentiles everywhere so that they too might believe. So it's not an empty gospel. It's a gospel that leads to obedience. That's why Jesus would say, if you love me, then do what I'm telling you to do. And he says, all glory, he wraps it up there, that bookend again, all glory to the only wise God through Jesus Christ forever. And so you look at that, that word secret there. It's, it's the Greek word musteron. It could be secret or mystery there. And, and it, mean, it doesn't mean that it can't be figured out. It just means that it was hidden. It's like, you know, if I had, you know, say, you know, we were going to give that guitar to Isaac and we put, a, we put a drape over it so he couldn't see it. He might know that it's a guitar, but he doesn't know what it looks like because it hasn't been unveiled yet. There were all kinds of prophecies in the Old Testament that foretold about Jesus coming, right? We say in the, the Old Testament, the New Testament was what? Was concealed, right? And in the New Testament, the Old Testament was revealed. Right? So Paul is saying it was hidden 
at that time. And now it's been made known. The secret is out. And what is the secret? The secret is Jesus, right? You don't have good news without Jesus. And that's really what this all is all about. And, and yet part of it is we understand it, that there was going to be the expansion, that it wasn't just going to be about the Jews any longer, that Gentiles were going to be brought into the kingdom. That's what, you know, Romans eleven twenty five. Paul uses that word, you know, that mystery or, or, you know, and again, Gentiles being saved, you know, and the Jews go, what? That's a mystery to me. You know, we, we didn't know that one. Well, we didn't get the memo, you know, and yet, you know, you, you can look in other passages of scripture as well, where that Greek word mystery shows up. Ephesians chapter three, verses two through six. You know, so not only would the Gentiles be brought into the kingdom, but but together, the Jews and the Gentiles would form this new relationship we call it what? The church. The church, the body of Christ. Yet Colossians t- gives us another example of that word, musteron. And again, and it's really what today's all about. Christ in you, that's the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. I, I like what John Corson writes in his commentary on Romans 16. He says, It's not program that was given to us, not rules or regulations that were laid on us, not expectations placed before us, but rather Christ in us, the hope of glory. He says, folks, it's not religions, not programs, not 12-stepping, not trying harder, not getting it together, not follow-up materials that are needed. What's needed is Christ living in us. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Bringing people to that place, you go, man, open your heart to Jesus. Now that'll make sense to you. You guys that are studying Revelation in the churches in Asia Minor and the church at Laodicea that Jesus says to that church, he says, you know, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth, right? Pretty strong sentiment. But he goes, well, what's he saying? 320, I stand at the door of your heart and I'm knocking, right? And like I said, where's Jesus in that church? He's on the outside. Well, if Jesus isn't on the inside, can you be saved? There's the beauty of it. The Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You go, oh, I believe in Jesus. You go, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Can you be saved and not filled with the Holy Spirit? No. That's the beauty of the package. God is one, manifest in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And, and that's how you know that you're saved because the Holy Spirit lives in you. If the Holy Spirit is not in you, Jesus said, you do not belong to him. You can say all the right things. You can use the name of Jesus all day long. But if he doesn't live in you, and that was the mystery of the understanding that they go, oh, because what were they trying to do? What were the Jews doing? They were reaching God through what? External measures, trying to keep the law, trying to be good. Hey, did you ever try religion before Jesus? Doesn't work, does it? No, it's a dead end street. And Timothy, 1 Timothy 3.16, Paul talks about this with regard to the gospel. He kind of breaks it down. He goes, Jesus was manifest in the flesh. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen by angels. He was preached to the nations. He was believed on in the world. And ultimately, finally, then he was received up in glory after he rose again from the dead. The gospel, that's what saves people. It's not reasoning with people. It's not trying to talk with them, trying to be their friend. And those are all great things. The world can do all that. It's sharing the gospel with them, the truth, God's word that penetrates their heart. Because you wonder, go, I I just wonder why they're not responding. You go, because you're not even sharing the word with them. You're using psycho babble. You're just trying to be their friend. You go, oh, if I just get them to, I'll like them, I'll love on them. We just love on them. And you go, what is love? Well, the Bible says God is love. If you're not sharing God with them, then you're not loving them. You have, a, you have like Jesus said to Peter, Peter, do you like me? Do you flail me? I mean, he had to bring it down to that level, right? He couldn't say, do you agape me? He's like, do you, do you like me? Peter's like, Jesus, you know everything. You know, I like you. And that's where he started. Did Peter end up agaping him? Absolutely. And God will meet you right where you're at. Jesus will establish you. Why? Because he lives in you. Because he lives in you. He says, but now in verse 26, the prophets foretold and the eternal God has commanded this message is made known to all the Gentiles everywhere so that they too might believe and obey him. 
So the secret's out. Believing Jews and believing Gentiles are what? They're joint heirs with Christ Jesus. And that was God's plan all along. Everything pointed to that moment. I have to skip all that. Just I said, you overstudy for this. So I really took you through one verse, took up whole, whole, whole time. Verse 27, though, I'm going to close with this. It says, all glory, this is my doxology. It's going to go for an hour. All glory to the only wise God through Jesus Christ forever. So I want you to think about this. I'll invite the worship team to come forward and uh, those that will pass out the elements of communion. I want you to think about this day. It's so perfect in this. You know, what is, what is communion? What, really for us, when we think about what is communion, it's like, like a, a wedding, wedding ring is what? It's an outward sign, right, of what? An inward change. It's like water baptism is an outward sign of an inward change. So when we, we receive, you know, communion, what are we doing? It, it's a dramatic, isn't it? A retelling of the gospel story, isn't it? Isn't that what communion is? It, it, we're, we're retelling the gospel story. What, what is the bread telling us today? When you take that bread and you hold it in your hand, what are you being reminded of? Go ahead. What, what are you being reminded of? As you hold that bread, it's the body of Christ. What are you being reminded of? That he died for you, right? His body was broken. Why was it broken? Why did Jesus come? To die. Why did he have to die? Because of me, because of you. It should be you. should be me. But Jesus came from heaven. God himself came from heaven, took on human form, became a man, so that he could become, in the beauty of the gospel story, he could become our Goel, right? Our kinsman redeemer. He had to be like kind in order to redeem us. So he became like us so that he could save us. And he lived a perfect life. That's what his blood represents, right? The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. Something had to shed its blood. Something had to die. Jesus came from heaven. That's, so when you're receiving communion, you're telling yourself the gospel story. That's what it's about. The bread came down from heaven, the bread that gives life. And you take that bread, Jesus said, and you break it. This is my body, which is broken for you. It's personal. That's why when Paul's going, my gospel, communion makes it your gospel. It makes it my gospel. It's personal. Oh, he died for everybody. But when you're holding your hand and you're reminded, that's what we're trying to get at today. That's what Paul, that's what, oh, he's so excited. He's going, no, it's, it's his body broken for you. And then that cup, he said, represents the new covenant in my blood. Oh, that what? The new covenant? Not just that God would be with you like he was with the Jews in the Old Testament, right? He traveled with them wherever they went. And the, and the rest of the world looked at the Jews and they went, hey, they've got a God that what? Tabernacles with them, right? Wherever, wherever the Jews go, he went what? During the daytime, he went as a pillar of what? Cloud. And at night, he went as a pillar of fire, right? And that's how they knew. How are they going to know in the New Testament? See, because when you get saved, think about this. When you get saved, this is what's going to happen. Wherever you go, there's going to be a cloud over your head. I'm teasing. <laughs> yeah, and at night, there's a fire. You go, wow, they don't even need a flashlight. No, how are they going to know? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Is that God is establishing himself. He's able, he's perfecting himself in you as you what? As you read his word and you study his word and you apply his word and you walk in his word and that word starts to shape you and that word starts to change you. Other people then look at that and they're going, hey, you know what? God, he tabernacles with them. And that's what Paul was so excited about. Paul knew what it was like to be religious and trying to do all the right things for all the right reasons. And he goes, I failed miserably. Because when I got saved, he goes, guess what? Jesus came. He's in me. And wherever I go, when I was in prison, me and Silas at midnight got the snot beat out of us. Jesus was sitting right. And we just began to sing. And what happened? The guard gets saved. The gates open up. You go, you're free. There's so much more, you know, church, that, that God wants for us.
but it's more of him, not more religion. It's more of him. Because once you have him and you have him in that place, you'll be stable and you'll be like, Paul, you go, none of these things move me. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what? I will fear no evil for one reason and one reason only. Why? For thou art with me. Amen. That's the beauty of communion. When you take that today, that's your reminder. He died for you. He loves you. He's with you. He's in you. When you leave this place, he will be with you. Now, it's up to me and you. Are we going to listen to him as he speaks to us? Because what? He's alive. He's right there with you. Are we going to follow him? My hope, my prayer is yes, that we do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this book. So easy to see how it brought revival to so many. And I pray that it brings revival to us today. That God, you'd love us so much that you would come to this earth, that you'd live a perfect, sinless life, that you'd go to a cross and you would die for us. And just as you've said, three days later, you rose again. That's the proof that we're forgiven. And because you're alive, because you sent the Holy Spirit, you said he'll be with you and he'll be in you. What a joy that we have today, that the God who created the heavens and the earth is not just mindful of us. He's not just with us, that he's in us. Lord, let that sink in as we receive communion today. Be glorified in your church. I bless your church today. Strengthen her and wash her and cleanse her, Lord. And as we go from this place, may that thought be with us this whole week. Wherever we go, whatever we say, whatever we do, God is with me. God is with me. What a wonderful God. All glory, all glory be to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.